Today's sponsor is Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode. Recode Radio presents Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher. Hi, I'm Kara Swisher, executive editor of Recode, and you're listening to Recode Decode. You may know me as the women's issues advisor to the Donald Trump campaign, but in my spare time, I also do some tech reporting. The tech industry is strange, just like the Donald, and it is everywhere, just like Trump. But here, we talk about what makes tech so weird, interesting, and important. We leave Donald Trump to the rest of America. Today's guest in the red chair is Twitter's top lawyer, Vijaya Gadi. Gadi has battled in courtrooms across the globe to keep Twitter online, leading one of Silicon Valley's most impressive legal teams. She is also deeply involved in Twitter's efforts to crack down on online harassment, and she helped roll out some of the service's major safety changes from this spring. Welcome, Vijaya. Thank you, Kara. Thanks for coming. Um, there's a lot going on at Twitter. Just at the top, we're not going to be talking about the CEO search, correct? And, and you're not the CEO today, correct? That, that is correct. Okay. And I'm the person who always tells everyone they can't comment yes, on Yes, the lawyer. That's yes. what I figured. I'm not going to get a thing out of you. Let me just tell you, lawyers are tough. Some lawyers are tough, not all, but I know you are. Um, but th- let's talk about tough. Like you just, we're going to talk about a range of things, online harassment, all kinds of things. And Twitter's been very much out front around the NSA and things like that. But let's ta- talk about the transparency report that just came out, um, which you were involved in. So give us, uh, we're going to talk a little bit about your history in a second, but let's talk about the news, what, what you guys released this week. Sure. Um, what we released is our biannual transparency report, and we started this process um, back in 2012. I believe this is our seventh transparency report. And the information we put in there is all about the requests that we get from governments to Mm -hmm. either access information about our users, who they are, or um, asking us to take content down off of the platform for various reasons. And we go into a lot of detail in that report because we think it's an important public service, not necessarily for every individual user, but in terms of the landscape of the Internet and how governments are relating to what's going on. And how do you assess it? Talk about this year's things and why you think it's important. I mean, obviously, Twitter's been much further out there than others and much more uh, opposing gov- these government requests and has been stronger in that area. Why has Twitter been like that, first of all, uh, which is laudable because some of the bigger companies have a lot more legal firepower or money to spend on it. And then secondly, what's unusual this year as compared to other years? Actually, to, to kick off on the last point, I don't think there's anything unusual this year. I think what you're seeing is a steady increase in how the government is attempting to either uh, shut down particular conversations or access information about users. So that, that's been a consistent theme, and what this year's report shows is that that's only increasing in scope. Uh, this really started for us as a company very early on. We had this philosophy or core belief about protecting and defending our users' voice, and that's what we're showing in the transparency report. And that started very early on with our founders, Jack and Ev, as well as uh, our first general counsel, Alexander McGillivray, AMAC, uh, mm-hmm. as he's known. Um, and they had this strong belief in fighting for these rights for our users uh, because that is what's powering the platform at the end of the day is the ability to speak out. So why is the government increasing? What, is, what are they looking for what is, what, from your perspective? I think the government is increasing, one, because they're catching up to technology. They're understanding that more and more people are using technology and that they need to keep up and understand what's being said. And uh, that's, that's part of what's going on around the world. You see countries actually increasing over time. 
So it's this constant uh, pace of technology, and the governments are catching up to and it. Where do they cross the line? I mean, is there is any request? Is there an argument to be made for? I mean, I interviewed President Obama last year, and he was saying, "Look, the first plane that goes down because of an email I don't have is I don't know what to say. We have to have these abilities." Well, this is an incredibly complicated area. Mm-hmm. Obviously, we cooperate with law enforcement as long as they're following the proper legal process. But even in our report, you can see that we do push back on certain types of requests, and it's not because we're not wanting to be cooperative or not for any other reason. It is because we want to make sure that we're upholding the same standards of uh, due process and civil rights across the platform. What do you push back on? Uh, We push back on overbroad requests. We'll push back um, uh, on things that haven't followed the proper process, a subpoena versus a warrant in some cases. So it depends on the case. It's really hard to uh, be very specific. But we push back in all sorts of cases. We push back because we often want to give the the user um, himself or herself the, the notice that Mm -hmm. the government is requesting their information. And oftentimes the government doesn't want us to do that. Uh, A really famous case of this was back during Occupy Wall Street. Mm -hmm. Uh, Malcolm Harris uh, was one of the many protesters and the New York District Attorney wanted information about Harris. Um, A lot of information and they didn't, in our opinion, follow through on the right right process search warrant. Mm -hmm. Uh, Rather they issued a subpoena which doesn't go through the same process. And we we tried to fight. Uh, We tried to push back. We wanted uh, Harris to be able to fight to to uh, be able to protect his information, and the government did not let him fight, and we tried to fight, but we were eventually forced to turn over that information. And in, in terms of in doing the fight, is it a pointless fight, or do you feel like, you know, you're a lawyer, and obviously, you know, you watch TV shows where lawyers are always fighting for justice, and sometimes they're not. Don't believe everything you no, see. No, I don't believe anything. I know, but I still like how to get away with murder. You're not going to stop me from Okay, great. Uh, I also watch legal shows, so yeah. even though She's I know a that they're not crazy on that show, I highly recommend it. Okay. Uh, I don't think we take pointless fights. I think we take uh, fights uh, or we uh, stand up um, and push back where we think that there's a important principle involved. So we're not going to win every single one of them. We have a, a case against the U.S. government, the Department of Justice, and the FBI right now around our transparency report to be able to share more information about national security. And explain that. What, what do you want to do that they don't want you to do? We want to be very granular about our disclosure in terms of the types of requests we're seeing from the government, whether they're national security requests or other types of requests. And uh, right now, that that information may be only disclosed in a certain aggregate forms, and we want to be incredibly granular. And why are they opposing that? I mean, they spend all this time on Hillary Clinton's email, you know, and they just let her write emails from any old account. And here they're being very particular. Is it just that's what they're overly broad, or do they? Oh, uh, well, have they think issue? the 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 they think the formats that they've agreed to are sufficient for disclosure purposes. Uh, you should really talk to them. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, they believe that there's some uh, security benefit in not disclosing how and when, what types of requests they're making for service providers. What's the overall trend here in the United States versus the world? I mean, where are there more egregious examples? Is the U.S. egregious? Is um, In terms of numbers, the U.S. is the most, but mm-hmm. we're also a U.S. company. Both state and local and, um, and federal. Yes, all, all of mm-hmm. the, all of that. Um, so we receive most of our requests from the U.S., but we're a U.S. company. We're used here. We have a lot of users here. So it's not surprising that we would get more requests from the U.S. government. But you're seeing a slow uh, uptick around the world, I'd say. And and where, for what countries, for example, are being particularly aggressive? Well, it's funny because um, you can look at our report and you can see where the, the sharpest increase is. Um, and it's, you know, can be around political events or elections. So it's, it's very dependent, you know, quarter to quarter or, or year to year. Um, you know, recently we've obviously seen a lot of reports from uh, Turkey. Right. And you can see a lot of Or you are disclosure. not beloved. Twitter is not beloved. Well, by some people they're beloved. Um, 
I think that we're, we're used very importantly um, in the country, and I think that's what's important to us. And what is the government doing there? Can you explain what happened in Turkey? Well, uh, about a year ago, I guess uh, last March, we were we were blocked for a short period of time. Um, by the president, is that right? Um, by the government, the by the courts, right. um, because uh, there were a number of tweets uh, with some allegations of uh, political corruption uh, that we felt were important, and we weren't uh, we weren't uh, in a position to to take, take down. down because right. of um, the system, the process, et cetera, that happened. Um, and we eventually got a lot of support from Turkish citizens and civil rights groups, and they actually filed a constitutional case as well as um, mm -hmm. ours. And the constitutional court uh, ruled that it was basically uh, unconstitutional under Turkish law for the government to block us for this. It was an mm -hmm. extreme measure. And, and so we've been in, a, in an ongoing dialogue with the government, and we push back on a lot of court orders, um, some of which are overturned, not as many as we'd like. But we've also complied with a number of court orders there um, in, in keeping with Turkish law. What about in China? What about there? You don't operate in China, but you have Chinese citizens using. Uh, we are currently blocked in China. Mm -hmm. uh, that being said, I, I believe there are probably uh, some citizens who have access to the platform just based on what I've seen through mm -hmm. other mechanisms. So that's How do you move into a country like that, or is that just forget it, we're not going in there? Um, well, you've seen companies like LinkedIn who've been able to do it, but right. they've made a fair n a number of compromises to be able to do yeah, so. And a I fair think, number. I think you're being kind. <laughs> um, I think uh, you, you what we have said, and I think what we continue to believe is that we are unwilling to make the compromises needed to uh, be in that market today. Mm -hmm. And do you ever imagine, or do you think the, go the government has to change before that happens? I don't know about the government needing to change, but I think there are other avenues that are open to us, and we're seeing some of this. We have a, a large export business on our ads platform um, in China. We also have a number of developers in China who use our developer tools. Right. So we do uh, feel that that's a market that's available to us, or we're just pursuing it in a different way. But not North Korea anytime soon? Um, well, I'm not sure that the, the Internet market is as uh, robust there. <laughs> yes, exactly. <laughs> what do you imagine? I want to get into how you got into this in a second. But what do you imagine is the most troubling thing that could happen with all these requests when, you know, government has we've seen all this NSA stuff and what they're spying on and how they're tapping into things. What are you most troubled by as a as a as a, as a lawyer and as a, a citizen, really? I think the robust exchange of information around the world is so critical to um, everything that happens. And it is a very American point of view. I'm an American-educated uh, person, so um, I appreciate that not all countries feel the same way and different countries approach it differently. But we were started here, and we have this fundamental belief in the power of Twitter and the power of the exchange of information around the world. And I think if the government doesn't follow appropriate processes or they try to stop those conversations from happening, what you're doing is stifling that free exchange of information. And I think that's incredibly dangerous. Now, you, uh, how did you get into this? You were, give me your background just, just a little bit. You don't have to go back to kindergarten. Yeah, absolutely. It's going to sound a little um, discongruous, I think. But um, I actually spent about a decade of my career here in Silicon Valley uh, at Wilson Sonsini, mm -hmm. representing tech companies, mostly in IPOs and uh, mergers and acquisitions. Mm -hmm. um, I mentioned- So the boring stuff. Stuff. Yeah, exactly. And I did hostile takeovers for a really long nice, time, too. Nice. Well done. Um, but um, I was friends with AMAC, who is our former general counsel here at Twitter, and um, always admired him and the work that he was doing at Google before he came to Twitter and also what he um, started here. 
And I also had this really unique perspective because my father-in-law is Egyptian, lived in Egypt, uh, lived in Cairo, mm -hmm. and uh, is still the biggest uh, user of Twitter that I know. And in Egypt, in Egypt, mm -hmm. um, he lives there about half time, and he was there during uh, the revolutions and mm -hmm. the protests in Tahrir Square. And the re the the time that I found it just phenomenal, and the power of this platform became so apparent to me was back in 2010 when he was sending us tweets from Tahrir Square, from, you know, pictures of what was happening. And I was like, this is amazing. This entire movement started because people were able to connect with each other around mm -hmm. a common interest. And not only are they thousands and thousands of people there, but they're able to share what's going on directly mm -hmm. with the entire world without any mediation and without journalists. And they're able to express exactly what they feel and what they're trying to achieve. And that power was is really something that I think is is relatively new, and it it really felt to me like it resonated with you. Yeah, absolutely. And and you so you said screw the IPOs. I'm going to be doing something with a little more substance there. Yeah. Well, it took me a couple of years to actually get a job at Twitter. Right. But um, it was something. Was that where you was, aimed to work, or did you? No, I really wanted to. Yeah. I, I remember having uh, lunch with uh, Amac a couple of times and asking him if there were any opportunities available, and I was very excited when one finally came up. And you had you specialized in these kind of areas, which are sort of First Amendment issues there? Not at all. And in fact, uh, I have a phenomenal team that supports mm -hmm. me, and they are really the ones that push on these issues. So my job is to help them. Um, so what do you do all day? What is your... What you, <laughs> I often ask myself that same yeah. question. Um, I spend a lot of time in meetings, right? Um, I think, and a lot of time uh, planning for the team, un unblocking issues, making sure that... Uh, the leadership team and my team are communicating well so that we're focused on the right things, the most So you could also things. be kind of contracts, obviously. That's sort of the block and tackle of what yeah. you're doing. Uh, these government requests and, and keeping those correct. And the other is uh, safety and online harassment. That's right. Um, do you um, – is there anything to be – we've had the Reddit people here. We've had others. We've talked about this issue quite a bit. Is it never going to be fixed? Do you feel like what you, you've put in all kinds of things? Twitter got criticized for mm -hmm. not doing enough. I think around the Robin Williams suicide, uh, there was a lot of talk about what happened, and you acted, but still, it's it sort of can be a real cesspool out there in a lot of ways. I think that's right. I think you know fundamentally, the internet is often a reflection of what the real world is like, and some of that is really amazing, and some of that is not so great. Um, I think for us. Uh, a lot of our um, criticism stemmed from not acting fast enough or right. not acting with uh, enough success, uh, right. meaning we weren't stopping things from happening. We were very reactive. Uh, we made uh, a lot of changes, I would say, in the last year. Do you think year. you were too reactive? Did it not occur to you that this would hurt, or is it just it, this was just a prominent person? Um, in, in that particular case, I think there was a lot of confusion on what was actually going on. Mm -hmm. So, um, And I don't want to comment on specific mm -hmm. cases, uh, but I think that it's not that we we had this belief in the platform and the power of the platform, and we tried to tinker with it very little mm -hmm. in the early days. And um, I think we reacted to reports of abuse, but we weren't doing anything proactively to either educate users or make it more difficult to uh, abuse someone. And so what we've done over the last year is really drastically changed um, how the product works, our enforcement mechanisms, how quickly we react. And those are the things we've focused on. And we've changed our policies, actually, because of a lot of uh, feedback from uh, our users. All right, we're going to get into talking about that in a second. But first, an ad from our sponsor. If you're always on the go like myself and don't have time to sit down and read, audible.com is a great source to be able to catch up on the latest bestsellers. Listen to it while on the road or at the gym. 
Audible.com is a leading provider of premium digital spoken audio information and entertainment on the Internet. Audible content includes more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. It carries audiobooks in every genre imaginable, business, classics, history, and self-development. Audible is offering our listeners a free audiobook of your choice and a free 30-day trial membership. I availed myself to it, and I'm listening to Ken Follett's Fall of Giants that I'm listening to as I walk up and down Market Street in San Francisco. Just go to audible.com slash decode and choose from over 180,000 audio programs, download a title free, and start listening. It's that easy. Go to audible.com slash decode. That's audible.com slash decode and get started today. We're here with Vigia Gade. Did I get that right? Yes, you did. Thank you. Um, and we're talking about a range of issues around Twitter. She's the, the Twitter's top lawyer and uh, deals with all kinds of issues from basic contracts to government requests uh, to shut down information uh, and also online harassment, which has become a big issue um, and doesn't seem to ever go away. Um, Twitter has, has tried to fix the situation. We're going to talk about that, but it's also been criticized for not acting enough. It's, one of, it's sort of the world's great marketplaces of, of voices, and in that case, there's a lot of bad voices and bad actors, and it can, it can degenerate and sort of be a reflection of humanity. Um, I'm of the opinion that, you know, it's sort of the guns, uh, it, it, you know, Twitter doesn't hurt people, people hurt people, and mm-hmm. yet these tools make it a lot easier. Um, let's talk about the solutions, because I think you can't change humanity and sort of the vile things they say. And there is an uh, anonymous, for example. Mm-hmm. On Facebook, you can't be anonymous, or you can't, it's very hard to do so. Mm-hmm. Um, is that a problem? Let's start with that to begin. Because on, on Twitter, you can have all kinds of crazy names, and nobody quite knows who you are. Well, it's certainly uh, one of the things that can exacerbate uh, a situation, and people can hide behind the veil of anonymity to mm-hmm. um, say terrible things. And... You know, one of the things that uh, I've been really focused on, and I wrote an op-ed in the Washington Post a mm-hmm. couple of months back that really focused on this, is that um, at some point the abuse becomes so bad that it begins silencing other mm-hmm. people. And while we've historically not mediated and gotten involved, we've taken the position and we believe that we need to create an environment where people can speak freely, but that there is a line over which we will not allow you to cross. And we're doing a number of things on the product and the policy side to prevent that. So let's talk about those. Let's yes. talk about the product side. So on the, on the product you, side... Well, first of all, do you ever imagine Twitter not anonymous, real names? Um, I have a hard time imagining that and there's the date that it's funny because I do think you know in many cases Twitter is the place for your online identity mm-hmm. uh, it is the place where so many people whether it's government officials or celebrities right. um, or business leaders choose to speak and right. put their views out to the rest of the world but it also serves this other use case which is to allow those who don't have a voice to speak up right. and uh, without fear of retaliation and mm-hmm. I but, you know celebrities tend to get in trouble if they go too far except for Donald Trump in a weird way <laughs> but really seriously you know one guy who's doing the uh, one of the late night shows he said a bunch of things on Twitter uh, and it's late it comes to haunt him later mm-hmm. well it's a public platform right. um, you know you could say the same thing on the evening news and it might come to haunt you later right. it is right. just... that would be Brian Williams yes yeah. um, but 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 the anonymous so you don't think there should be anonymous or do you no I think it's a very important part of the mission of the platform which is to allow any voice to speak up and there are many places in the world or many topics Mm-hmm. Um, even in a place like the United States, that people would have a, a fear of speaking out about. And it's really important that we enable those voices to be heard as well as the... So you're sheltering the, the discomforted rather than 
you know, afflicting, the obnoxious kind of thing? Uh, we have a philosophical point of view that anonymous speech can be very powerful. We have the opposite reality that it can also be used uh, for things that like abuse and harassment. Right. So, so it's a balance, and uh, that's the balance that we're continually striking um, every day, and we can continue to iterate on that. I think you should not have anonymous. That's my feeling. But it will go on. Um, okay. I think it does breed more trouble than it's worth. But I get your point if you're in a certain country and you can't speak and don't have an outlet. Um, gay issues used to be like that. Or even here, when you talk about diversity issues in, in tech or mm-hmm. in a number of issues, uh, you might be afraid to speak in your own voice, but mm-hmm. you want to make a point. Right. So I think that that's valuable even here, right. every day. So let's talk about the product changes. What? Give me some examples of what's going on. So we've done some really simple things, such as just make it um, easy to report, one-click reporting um, in many instances. The other thing that we've done is changed how we uh, react to reports that we get. Um, for example, we will force users to delete tweets that are uh, seen that are violating our policies, and it's, it's sort of an education process. Mm-hmm. We have to go through and delete every tweet that's been found to be in violation of our policies, and it forces them to really take a moment to think, this is wrong, this violates the policy, and you're not allowed back to access your account unless you go through those steps. Mm-hmm. Um, we also have a number of Who does of that? What team does that there? Uh, we have a, a global team. Um, Taught, uh, our services team, customer service team. And they read it. them and determine. That's right. We have a policy team uh, that reports um, into my organization, and they write the, the global policies for all this type of uh, content. And then we have a team that enforces the policies. So some, those are very gray areas, though, in a lot of times. I mean, Reddit had that issue is that it was okay to have certain words, but they were all offensive. Like, mm-hmm. even though what we, you could say, um, you couldn't say you'd kill someone, but you could talk about attacking someone for their race or, or something like that. So there's certainly an area of grayness to our, uh, any company's policies, I think, mm-hmm. in this. But you can be pretty specific. And this is one of the changes we've made, actually, is because we used to have a policy that said the only thing that was prohibited was a direct uh, threat of violence. Right. And what we found was a lot of people were getting indirect threats of violence right. that, was, that were incredibly intimidating um, mm-hmm. And we took the feedback from our users that our policy didn't go far enough, so we made the change. Um, But you're right. It requires uh, our agents to have a lot of context to really understand the policies before they can make a decision, and we take this incredibly seriously. Can you give an example of that? Is it, like, one particular thing? Was it just... Is it a racial comment or... I mean, a a great example is uh, the rape train is coming your way. Mm -hmm. Is that a threat? Yes, it is. I agree. Yeah. But I'm not sure that it would have been a... You're also an idiot for saying it, yes. not you in but, particular. But something like that, like right. in the old days, may not have been captured by a direct threat of violence against mm-hmm. you. Uh, but now we're like, clearly this is meant to intimidate and harass, and it's violent. Mm-hmm. It is abusive, and we're going to take action on it. Mm-hmm. So, And what else do they do to stop this? Oh, uh, so we're also uh, limiting the spread of this information. So uh, we will not show certain types of tweets and app mentions. You know, we've enhanced the ability for people to block. The functionality is much better. We've, yeah, it is. I block a lot of people. <laughs> we've uh, allowed people to, uh, you know, share block lists. Mm-hmm. So, for example, if you are an activist and, uh, you know, you and the people that in your community have the same people that are always harassing you or you don't want to hear from, you can share your block list with other yep. people, which is great. Um, we also enhance the ability to mute people that you just don't want to listen to. Um, so we've done a bunch of things in the product to enhance the user controls around what you see and when you see it. Talking about the bigger issue of online harassment, and then I want to finish with talking about content, troubles around content, because we had an interesting discussion about content 
around the world being mm-hmm. blocked in a lot of ways, real good content. Mm-hmm. Um, is there, when you look at a Reddit, for example, and you can't come necessarily, but the, it's, it's a bigger trend. Like, what do you do in this space where you want to allow freedom of expression at the same time? You know, it doesn't happen. The news has a gated quality. I can kick people out of my site. I have, we, mm-hmm. we block people. I remember someone coming on and saying vile things about one of our reporters in the uh, in the comments section. I just blocked them. And they said, you can't do that. I go get your own website. I said, F word, uh, website. Um, and I, 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 it was really interesting because they thought they could say whatever they wanted. And I said, no, you really actually can't because it's my party here and you need to leave my house. Um, so it was, you know, I, I had certain news people have certain control over that. How do you – you all don't want to have that control or don't want to serve that purpose, yet increasingly you'll get drawn into it. I actually think we do have that control, and that's what you've seen us do. Right. I think Twitter is taking a stand against online abuse, and we can tr- control that on our platform, and we're being much more aggressive. So similar to you, that is exactly what we're doing when we suspend someone from the platform and we prevent them from signing up. Do you imagine it's going to get worse as we move into other um, – Platforms of VR, all kinds of ways where people can really interact. I mean, a VR Twitter would be really interesting. It would be really interesting. I don't know that it'll get worse. I think it's just always going to be there. This is a problem in the real world. It is a problem online. What you often see is organized campaigns that are across multi-platforms. It's, you know, a lot of Gamergate was across multi-platforms. Mm-hmm. It wasn't just one platform. Yeah, though Twitter was um, the center of it. Uh, Twitter, Reddit, there was a number of places yeah. that uh, that it was happening. And I do think that there's a number of that, a lot of that's happening on private platforms as well. Mm-hmm. You're just not seeing it. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've always um, had the privilege of being a largely public platform, so you can see everything that's going on, and that's mm-hmm. both good. You see the good stuff as well as the bad stuff. Do you think Reddit's doing enough? Um, you know, I don't, I'm not sure. I'm not as close to, to their kind of day-to-day thing, so I, I wouldn't want to comment on that. Okay. Um, I, I would imagine, I, I personally think they never do enough there. I think they just allow a lot of cesspool behavior to go on, and I'm not sure why. I mean, I get the, the, the larger First Amendment issues, but in some, at some point it becomes a question of social, you know, kindness or something like that. So let's finish up about content around the world. Is it at risk? Do you think that content is at risk as you move, you know, as a lawyer, you see blocking of content, blocking of information. You know, we all promote more information everywhere, good, especially good information and news. Do you see that as a big issue going forward? I think it's an issue that we should always be vigilant about because if people stop fighting for these things, that's when you slide into a place where information is not flowing freely. And, uh, I think it's one of the things I'm most proud of is the, the work that my team has done about withholding, where we are forced to withhold content. We only withhold it in a particular country that has given us that legal order to do so. And then we publish the court order for the world to see so they can see exactly what governments are acting and what they're trying to suppress. Can you give me an example of that? Uh, so we published all of our court orders, um, for example. You no, know, quarters, I mean something that they wanted to block a piece of content. Um, well, I mean, it happens all the time. Uh, even in countries like uh, France and Germany, there'll be a, a lot of uh, things that are considered violations of European hate speech laws um, mm-hmm. and or that wouldn't be violations of U.S. law, for example, um, uh, or in uh, particular countries around uh, demonstrations or protests, that type of information. Uh, if you don't have a permit to protest, you're not allowed to mm-hmm. hold a protest. So. Uh, that type of information will be asked to be blocked as well. And do you do you see a, a contraction around the world as the government becomes governments become smarter of it? There's not going to be a world um, view of this. I mean, on the for example, the right to be forgotten. Mm-hmm. How, where do you come down on that? Um, I think it's incredibly challenging. Um, 
I think that that is a, a really tough position. I understand that there are cultural norms that are different around the world, but um, I think it's a, a very challenging issue because it is information, and I believe that it should flow freely. This yeah, I don't think not, there's any right to be forgotten. That's yeah. my feeling. Uh, I I, I'm not sure. That, you know, the, the interesting thing about that decision is it's not that you really have a right to be forgotten. It's just in certain places. Right. You, you have a right to be forgotten. In France, say, or Germany. Well, not just that, but, you yeah. know, you have a right to be forgotten from a search engine, but right. not necessarily. You from Twitter. You know, and in the online world, you don't have a right to be, or sorry, the offline world, you don't have a right to be right, forgotten. Right, exactly. So I'm not sure what's being achieved by this. Right. The last question, what's the most interesting legal issue right now on the Internet, right now that really, even if it's not a Twitter issue, what is something that really... Uh, is it labor issues like the New York Times story that just came out? What, what is the, what do you think the, one of the most interesting issues? That well, you're... I think uh, the contingent workforce issues are really, really interesting. Uh, we have a new world with a sharing economy, and a lot of the people that are participating in uh, different uh, services like Uber, Postmates, et cetera, uh, are they employees? Are they not employees? What kind of protections do they have? I think it's a fascinating issue that will really impact um, how these companies continue to operate and um, how employees and service providers are treated. Great. Last question, the very last question. If you weren't a lawyer, what would you do? Would you still be working in the Internet space? Um, absolutely. I think the one thing I've seen is the ability for technology to impact every corner of the world, and uh, I just love that. And it's the reason I love Twitter, because it has an impact in people's lives every single day. Great. Thank you so much for coming. Thank you. I'm very honored to be here. Yes. Well, you look great in the red chair. Thanks for coming on, Vigia Gade. You're almost as nice as Adam Bain, but that's impossible. Up next, a special Too Embarrassed to Ask with Walt Mossberg, where we talk about Apple's big autumn announcement and what will be coming. Stay tuned. Today's Too Embarrassed to Ask is brought to you by Audible.com, which has more than 180,000 audiobooks and spoken word audio products. Get a free audiobook of your choice at audible.com slash decode and start listening. So today on Too Embarrassed to Ask, we're going to be talking about what Apple is going to be doing in the fall at their special event. A new iPad, Apple TV... For this week's Too Embarrassed to Ask, Walt Mossberg is here to help us make sense of whatever Apple has planned. Welcome, Walt. Glad to be here, Kara. All right. You're here in the studio. It's very exciting. It's in the very right exciting. Chair. Right here in the studio. Right here in the studio. So one of the things, we, this is not, you usually talk about products and how things are used, but people are very excited possibly about what's going to come out of Apple. Yeah. And they have events twice a year um, and introduce different things. And they have a big event in the fall, Yeah, we think usual. it's September 9th. Right. And it's... Uh, and it's and it inter- tends tends to introduce things. It tends to be around the iPhone and things like it that. It is around the iPhone, absolutely, right. definitely. That we know. Right. So, so talk a little bit about why, these events and why they're such a big deal. Still. Okay. So uh, I'll start with the iPhone cycle, if if that's of interest to sure. people. So uh, some people call it a tick tock cycle. So they bring out kind of a a big deal new iPhone every other year, and the intervening years, their pattern has been to bring out one. That is labeled usually S, so it might be six. And I understand they've they've confirmed none of this, mm-hmm. but they it, people expect there to be a six S and a six plus S. They they have a, a couple of ideas of new features on it. One is this thing called Force Touch, which they've already uh, put into uh, the Apple Watch mm-hmm. and into some Macs, which is a, a a way to press the screen 
in a hard way and get a bunch of shortcuts. Also, uh, a lot of rumors about faster LTE performance, stuff like that. Mm -hmm. So that's kind of table stakes in the speculation. Uh, Beyond that, I've been told by sources at Apple that I should think of this as a big event, bigger than just these iPhones. These upgrades. So big that they're actually trying to work hard to figure out how to make it a plausible length. Mm-hmm. Uh, and that implies to me a couple things. First of all, it's been a long time since they've revamped Apple TV. Our own Peter Kafka has reported that he expects they'll probably have a new Apple TV device with a new user interface, new new remote, new capabilities, but not necessarily the, the uh, streaming network that they have been looking to get from right. the media companies. Which they've been negotiating rather loudly in Hollywood. Ra- very loudly. And, you know, the media companies have a lot of control, so it's just hard to do. But it's not hard for them to do a new ap- Apple TV. And some speculation is that this new Apple TV could also be used as kind of a hub for Internet of Things and other things. I mean, it, it can – it will it could have Siri in it. It could run apps. It could be a, a – a radical revision of the Apple TV. Uh, in addition, everybody knows or everybody has speculated, and I think I, I really believe this, they're working on a kind of more business-oriented version of the iPod, of the iPad, mm-hmm. sorry. iPad Pro, tablet. correct? iPad Pro, iPad Plus, who knows what they'll actually name it. And it's like supposed to have a 12 or 13-inch screen, a stylus, uh, so aimed at business people. Aimed at business people. And as part of you remember, Tim Cook has an initiative with IBM mm-hmm. to try to write a whole bunch of business apps for the iPad. I think this is his way of goosing falling iPad sales. Generally, iPads have been announced on a different schedule than iPhones, but there's some feeling that maybe the, he'll pull that out at this meeting. Right. Plus, they have upgrades, which they announced in the spring, to their operating systems. Right. And but it I won't think be a that's big the general new device like the parameter. Apple Watch, which was the last. No, device. I don't think there's going to be a big new category like the Apple Will Watch. Will there be upgrades to the Apple Watch? I don't think there'll be a hardware upgrade. They did announce in the in the spring a uh, uh, the the two version of the operating system, which is desperately needed because it should allow third party apps to write directly to the watch right. and not have to kind of. Pull the stuff up from the phone to right, the watch. Which is a problem. Which is, How which, are you liking your watch, by the way? I, I like it, but I use it for about three or four things, and I'd be interested in using it for more things if it was faster right. at getting but the data. But it's still on your wrist. Uh, it, it is, and, I, it's, and just so everybody knows, I paid for it. So okay, it's, it's got fine. it. Of course you did. All right, we're going to ask some questions from readers. Um, Graham Kissinger asks, any chance Apple offers a phone smaller than the iPhone 6, going back to the iPhone Well, this is an four. interesting question. I've actually lately had several people – including my wife, tell me they were not interested in the iPhone 6 because they really liked the smaller, older right. size of the iPhone. And I had one person who is a, a, a colleague of ours uh, tell me she actually feels like she's gotten some kind of you know, injury from, re- from the bigger size. Hmm. Um, but I, I don't believe they'll bring out a new phone. I should point out that the iPhone 5 uh, is – on sale as they typically do for a hundred dollars less, and it's only a four-inch screen. Right. I don't know what'll happen with that when they when they bring out the new one. Possibly ones. giving giving it up. It right. might. Well, typically that one then goes to sort of a zero price. It becomes a right. giveaway one, right. but it would still be available. Right, but they won't be making or improving it. I doubt it. Yeah. I'd be really surprised. All right, Carlos MCSE. 
Will Apple finally drop the 16 gigabyte option? Yeah, he's referring to the base memory on right. the phone. Mm-hmm. Uh, I don't know for sure, but I wouldn't. I wouldn't be stunned. A lot of the other phone guys have done this, and now that phone subsidies for- aren't so common anymore, they don't have to worry about fitting into $199. So, you know, maybe they'll maybe they'll just start at 30. But that amount is pretty much inadequate to what people are doing, correct? Yeah, I mean I always buy, I don't know about you, but yeah, I always buy, the buy the, much more than yeah. the base memory. Okay, say Bastion, when will we see Apple TV 4, which you just referred to? Yeah, you're going to see it. I th- I'm almost certain you're going to see right. it September 9th. Okay. John Christensen, do you think they will market the new Apple TV as the center of your home? Etc. Or just release it like past models, which they no, haven't really. I think they in. will market it as more than just TV. It will run apps, and I think uh, you know they have HomeKit. Mm-hmm. It's a wireless box sitting in you know your living room or wherever you have it, your bedroom. And there's no reason why they couldn't build other functions into it. But they it. haven't. They really haven't like gotten into that idea. They've talked about it, the idea of sort of the central nervous system, but they haven't. I don't. You're think right, about the, but the. But a new redesigned Apple TV. Remember, they've sold twenty-five or thirty million of them. Yeah, I just but I just have it next to my Roku, and I don't consider it anything special. Yeah, but you wouldn't have to do anything with it necessarily. Right. It would just it would just it's connected to your Wi-Fi network. So all of a sudden, some other sensor or thing mm-hmm. you're using in your house, like I don't know, light bulbs that go on and I off. I just thought by now I'd have Apple everything, like Apple Lights, Apple. I just don't. It just doesn't. I don't think they're going to make Apple lights, but I think they're licensing people Mm -hmm. to be HomeKit compatible, and Apple TV may play a part in that. Yeah, I just thought they'd be bigger in my living room and home, but they aren't. I I, I feel so bad for you, I know. It's terrible. That's okay. It's just awful. a giant corporation running my house. Sudeep Mishra, odds of the iPad Plus, what happens to the iPhone 6 price cut by $100 would hurt margins. Yeah, this uh, last part, uh, uh, we already talked about the iPad Plus. Um... Cut, uh, cut by $100 would hurt margins, yes and no. Uh, they, they tend to cut last year's phone by $100. That's been their pattern. I have no reason to think they won't. But remember, the margins also depend on the cost of goods. Mm-hmm. They've sold a bazillion iPhone 6s. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. The price of the components is significantly less than it was when they introduced right. it last year. So if they cut it by $100, it might not hurt the margin and on it at all. More. And they'd sell more. Of them. And they sell more, yeah. Right. Um, do you think this is from Hot Chocolate? I don't know who that I is. I love questions I from Hot Chocolate. <laughs> do you think iPad's Air Mini refresh will be skipped at this event in order to focus on the speculated iPad Pro? I have no idea. I have no idea. Yeah. Uh, I, the, I don't know. How are those are those smaller iPads doing? How are they? Do they? I, it seems like you have either the big phone or your laptop or the larger. Yeah, iPad. obviously the iPad Mini is probably the iPad that has been hit the most by yeah. the big iPhone that I you, that you love it. to carry around. Yeah. I still use my iPad mini because I did not buy the big iPhone. Mm-hmm. But like I say, uh, my sources suggest there's a lot at this event, so maybe there so will be an else? iPad. what else? Is there anything else you can reveal to us, Mossberg? What are your sources I don't suggest? think they're going to have an Apple car at okay. the event. All right. When is that coming? I don't think they're going to make a car. You don't? What are they going to do? No, gonna I, have, I mean, I think, I think some people, some important people at Apple, like Johnny Ive, wanted to work on a car. Mm-hmm. I that's a long way from them deciding they want to be in a regulated business. Mm-hmm. Even Google with the self-driving cars, and you know this, mm-hmm. their concept isn't that you'll everybody will own one of the self-driving cars. It's really more of a fleet 
kind of a thing. You well, know, isn't it the idea it. that they need growth else, uh, elsewhere beyond search or beyond phones? That this, these are yes, but I'm thinking of the product itself. I mean, I, 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 Apple doesn't strike me as a company that really wants to get into a regulated business right. where people could be killed on the highway. And right. All I like a re- I'd like a gold car, though. Yes. Well, I'll, I'll pass that on to them. Oh, yes, you do. You please right do. after this podcast, I'll call them. So you will them. be attending this event, correct? You'll I will be, be attending it, yeah. and Recode will be attending it, yeah. and our sisters cite The Verge. But you are The Verge now, Walt. Now, let's just say that Walt Mossberg will be writing for The Verge. When do you start? I'll be writing a column for The Verge starting at the end of this month, and that column for Recode lovers will mm-hmm. also appear in Recode. Absolutely. And I'll still be involved in the Code conferences and in these wonderful podcasts, but I'll be doing podcasts at The Verge as well. Right. And um, so you'd be able to find me everywhere. Well, how can we miss you if you won't go away? (laughs) (laughs) Thanks, Walt. Thanks a lot. And now on Enough Said, a commentary from me on getting old. Google's real alphabet, I is for innovation and also irrelevance. Like a lot of places, it's hard to be old in Silicon Valley. That's because it's always been an environment where the young eats its old rather than vice versa, right from the start. Shockley begat Fairchild, begat Intel, and so on and so forth, a biblical lesson that has been iterated throughout the tech sector since. Silicon Valley's power elite will deny this age insecurity up and down, of course. But like Hollywood actors heading to a Botox session to save off the inevitable, there is always a sense of needing to refresh into the new, new thing to slow the digital guillotine hanging above all their efforts which in many ways is a bit of what's going on over at Google and its odd name change to Alphabet. The name itself is even younger than Young, hearkening back to nursery school, even that sing-song that we all learn to memorize it, A, B, C, D, E, F, G. To say it is primary is an understatement, and that is perhaps what Google is going for here. In his blog post on the subject, Google, excuse me, Alphabet CEO Larry Page noted, We like the name alphabet because it means a collection of letters that represents language, one of humanity's most important innovations, and is the core of how we index with Google search. We also like that it means alpha-bet. Alpha is an investment return above benchmark, which we strive for. While well said, this is just the kind of banal Silicon Valley bromide that means a whole lot less than it says. You get a lot of that here in the center of innovation, and it is wearisome and perplexing because Google should be justifiably proud of just how innovative it has remained since it was founded around the beginning of this century, which I call the olden days. Despite its massive growth in power, revenue, employees, and overall influence, the search giant has remained more nimble than any other company in tech. Google Glass, Loon Balloons, contact lenses that test for diabetes, giant solar kites, and who knows what else they're brewing up. I have a bet that they're working on an invisibility cloak and also a time machine. Who knows? But it's very exciting. In fact, aging probably shouldn't be so much a worry anywhere in Silicon Valley, given that most powerful companies are run by these same ever-aging executives, and most of the money funding the startups is controlled by another cadre of mature, almost always former dudes. Nonetheless, these same men all long for one thing, remaining as it was in the beginning, was then and ever shall be, is the prime directive, which is to say always and forever retaining the ethos and spirit of a startup, that they are still wearing cheap hoodies instead of expensive cashmere, that they're having to get by on nothing when they now have everything. In other words, 
to start from the beginning again, where ABCs meant you were just learning how to spell rather than having to change your name, and in this case, the best-known name in the world, to stop from what is inevitable, which is that you will eventually be upended as you yourself once upended, that you will grow old and you will be replaced as the iPhone 6 will someday be an iPhone 7. This is the life you chose to always change. There's an old saying that everything is always on the way to being something else, and realizing that, maybe, is not such a bad thing. This has been Recode Decode with Kara Swisher. Thanks for tuning in. We'll be back next week. This has been Recode Decode, hosted by Kara Swisher. For more hard-hitting interviews with insiders from the worlds of tech, media, and politics, subscribe to Recode Replay on iTunes. Featuring candid conversations with leading voices like Snapchat CEO Evan Spiegel, Uber founder Travis Kalanick, reality star Kim Kardashian, Shark Tank host Mark Cuban, and presidential candidate Hillary Clinton, President Obama, and more. They're all on Recode Replay. Thanks for tuning in.